the uh, mission on Triple R 102.7 FM. Uh, so it's time for our uh, first guest this evening. Um, like uh, non-Aboriginal, um, uh, like Abri- non-Aboriginal Australians, heart disease is the number one cause of death and uh, disability globally, and the leading contributor to that gap. Uh, sorry, the leading contributor to the health gap between um, Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. So uh, tonight's guest is the first um, Aboriginal cardiologist in the land. He's a proud Yorta Yorta Jajawarung man. Luke Birchall's research and clinical leadership in the fields of adult congenital, congenital <laughs> heart disease, cardiac disease in pregnancy and heart failure is recognised internationally. Luke works as a clinical cardiologist at Royal Melbourne Hospital and as a clinician, clinician researcher at the University of Melbourne. And uh, he's here in the studio with me. In the studio with me now, Luke. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now we should probably, off the bat, just um, ask: How does a um, Yorta Yorta boy slash Jaja Warung lad become a cardiologist? Well, you get there by working your little mum off. <laughs> That's how you get there. <laughs> and um, I don't know what the Koori equivalent of a tiger mum is, but I had that. Right. Um, Marlene, Marlene Atkinson Birchill. Mm-hmm. Um, she well renowned within the community. That's right. She uh, instilled in my sister and I a belief that we could achieve whatever we wanted to. Yeah. And um, I chose to be a doctor. Um, I was thinking about being a minister for a time because when I was uh, five, I thought that it looked good to wear that large gown that they wore. Yeah, right. Yeah, but then I got over the gowns. You dodged a bullet there. And I think the next major figure, (laughs) that's right, it was was smart. Um, I've always been good at predicting trends. (laughs) Um, so I think the next uh, major influence was actually our GP who used to come and visit our house because I grew up with my nan, Nanny Iris, who was a paraplegic and she lived with us uh, for significant periods of time in the year. And we had a Dr Graham Jones, the local GP, used to come in and I could see that this was a job where you really could impact yeah. a person and a family and a community. Yeah. Um should uh, uh, let the listeners in that uh, uh, Luke and I share uh, common ancestry. Uh, we both uh, share the same great grandfather, Shadrach James, who is um, uh, was a bit of a legend in his own right. So and, and studied at the University of Melbourne. The University of Melbourne. He studied did. medicine at the university, and I walk. I was just walking through there today. On the uh, cobblestones and the same retracing ones. his steps. Exactly. I should uh, let listeners know also that Luke's a very good-looking man, so um, not a coincidence. Um, <laughs> okay, now to, now to serious <laughs> serious matters. Um, Aboriginal people are 1.8 times more likely to die from heart disease. Why? What are the factors? So we're still trying to understand the factors, but the research that I'm doing at the university is based upon the hypothesis that the reason for these disparities is because simply we're not providing the right care at the right time to the right people. Yeah. We know that from research in different regions around the country that um, only 50% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people actually get 
assessed in terms of their heart risk. And then we know that even if you get that risk assessment, there's only about a 50% chance that you're going to get evidence-based care. That is things like blood pressure and cholesterol-lowering medications. And so also contributing to that is the is the, the gap in life expectancy that, that we have. And so we have people that are dying on average, you know, 10 to, you know, 12 years younger than um, the non-Aboriginal population. And so people are at risk of developing serious heart disease at a, at a younger age and the system isn't geared around to geared to, to screening those, those people. That's right. So in our community, heart disease occurs earlier, it progresses faster, it's associated with more uh, comorbidities, so things like diabetes, kidney disease, and it's associated with poorer health outcomes. And mm. that's why Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people Islander people are 70% more likely to die from um, heart-related or circulation-related diseases. Um, I think the medical profession as a whole is still trying to come to terms with how historical factors and and intergenerational trauma actually impact on the lives of people today. It's um, something that Aboriginal people and advocates within the community have been pushing for a long time saying listen you've got to listen, you've got to realize that uh, racism and um, repression and um, and a poor treatment over generation after generation is going to have a lasting impact do you think that the, the the medical profession is getting close to being able to you know formally recognize that and, and take that into account when treating Aboriginal people I think that there's a growing interest in terms of research, but I think we're a long way off seeing that translate to your or my visit to the GP yeah, and even further off from that translating to the experience we might have in a hospital. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that this is another example where if you take and privilege Indigenous perspectives, we have a lot to share because our notion of uh, community and family, it's about these life cycles and it's not just about, you know, our physical bodies, it's about our spiritual bodies. And we know that our ancestors and what is passed down to us is really important. Yep. And that relates back to this notion of intergenerational trauma. And I think it does manifest in terms of cardiovascular disease for sure. And, and that, that trauma continues when we have people dropping dead at the age of 35, 45. We've got people that have a lived experience that um, are dying before they have the actual opportunity to become elders and pass that lived experience down to experience down to, to the next generation. We're losing our cultural assets. Yeah. Um, we're at risk of losing a whole generation of emerging elders because of heart disease. So, you know, this isn't just an abstract research question. I think that this needs to be a priority for, for Aboriginal um, health, and we need to think a little bit more uh, generally than we have been when we think about cardiovascular disease. Uh, I guess growing up on the streets of Marupna and seeing people die well before their time from, you know, sudden death, you know, related to the, the heart disease, was something that spurs you on to this very day. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I was on the wards last week at Royal Melbourne Hospital. There are still people coming in, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. And it's a tragedy when people lose their lives um, 
you know, someone's at the gym, within 24 hours, they're dead. Yeah. And usually there are a range of missed opportunities uh, prior to that death. That is, why didn't we recognise the risk? Could we have done something in treating that blood pressure, helping someone to stop smoke, manage the cholesterol, get the blood sugar under control? These are all things that we're complacent about. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're waiting for events, and some of them are terminal events, yeah. before we act. I, I think there's that thing too down south here in, in Victoria. You know, doctors actually... GPs receive, you know, cultural awareness training in, during their, their period of training. But there still seems to be that misconception that the uh, Aboriginal person from Alice Springs is an Aboriginal person, but an Aboriginal person from, say, Fitzroy or, dare I say, Docklands, who doesn't actually look like um, the, the traditional notion of what an ab- Aborigine, ab- Aborigine should look like doesn't get asked the questions. And so it's up to the patient to, in many ways, drive that consultation. Yeah, we've got some big issues with identification. We know that in the southern states um, there is a general under-representation of Aboriginal people. It starts at that front desk at the hospital, when you're in the emergency yeah. department at that glass window or whether you che- when you're checking into your GP. It is really important for us to identify because that's how we're going to start to understand why um, outcomes are different and also investigate, is treatment different if you're Aboriginal, mm-hmm. if you're a Victorian Aboriginal person? We think that it is, there's evidence that it is, but we need to know why so that we can address it. I guess the, the cultural appropriateness of you know institutions like hospitals is, is really important. And I used to be quite cynical myself about like there being the Aboriginal flag you know, flying out the front of front of the building, and it wasn't until you know I had direct experience with um, the hospital setting through my father's illness that I realised that flag provides me a lot of comfort as as, as I walk in. Um, the reason I mentioned the flag is because I'm having a conversation with Natalie Crom later on about who owns the flag. But um, I would say, out of all the settings within the health system, I would say hospitals have probably done the most to actually change the cultural appropriateness of, of their institutions. Would you agree? I agree, but do you think that flying the flag comes with a greater responsibility than what it may have come with even 10 years ago? Yeah, I think um, the risk, you know, we live in the day of reconciliation action plans and my view of reconciliation action plans is it actually can result in um, a cop-out you know, a cop-out for, for uh, organisations and institutions to say, OK, we've got a reconciliation action plan, we're doing things about, you know, reconciliation. But it can also be um, a tick-the-box exercise. So at its, at its worst, having an Aboriginal flag outside a hospital is just that, just a tick-the-box exercise. Um, the, the, the care that translates after that is, of course, the most important thing. And I was fortunate with that is that, you know, a Chuka hospital has um, a dark history with Aboriginal people, but it has learnt from those lessons. And um, because of the population up there, deals very well uh, with Aboriginal people now. So that was his experience. But I take your point. Um, you know, I think the catch cry to, of today's millennials is all about authenticity. Yeah. And I don't think they're going to let us off the hook on that one. <laughs> and so 
organisations like hospitals, um, you know, how do they evolve and answer that call to action to be more genuine and be more authentic? My experience, um, having just joined Royal Melbourne Hospital in this last year, is that there is a genuine uh, willingness to engage on the question of how do we better serve Aboriginal communities. Mm -hmm. And that involves answering some hard questions and dealing with some difficult truths. Yeah. But I'm really impressed with this core nucleus of people that are driving the Reconciliation Action Plan at um, Royal Melbourne. It has not been easy. There have been setbacks. Yep. But it's, you know, through... Actually, sometimes you need that tension to result in something that is genuine and that is meaningful. Yeah, I think... Um, what we see a lot of the time is is actually Aboriginal people that drive these processes and and instigate the change and force people to have the, the those very awkward conversations and conversations and I think um, Royal Melbourne St Vincent's um, in particular have done a great job at sort of instituting some of that change. Still a long way to go, of course, and it's an ongoing conversation because uh, we're becoming more and more familiar with some of the issues. We still don't fully understand um, uh, Aboriginal heart health and, and the, the factors that impact, impact on that. Um, but uh, things are heading in the right direction. And this amazing thing has happened at Royal Melbourne. It's just turned out that there are a number of Aboriginal physicians and trainee doctors there currently. So, you know, it gives me great hope. But I do want to just call out Glenn Harrison because he's been working on this over many, many years. He developed an Indigenous internship program at Royal Melbourne Hospital. This year we have four applicants. Wow. Four I mean, Indigenous medical graduates. We have... Fifteen years ago, that would have, you would have, I would have scoffed at you. We have the first Australian um, Aboriginal stroke neurologist. Of course. Uh, in training, and we have another um, woman who is doing her surgical training. It's a Look, it's a really amazing time to be part of this community and seeing these successes. Yeah, the, their success is built on the back of a lot of people that weren't able to um, achieve that success, but we're there for them to, to get them get that leg up for exactly. them. Exactly. Um, I want to touch on uh, rheumatic heart disease. We were talking about this outside in the green room. It's a, it's a third world condition, and yet it still exists um, in Australia, most prominently in the Northern Territory, with almost every case there being that of an, an, an Aboriginal person. And in fact, the, the Aboriginal people in the NT are actually 69 times more likely to have RHD than non-Aboriginal people. Um, it's 2019. Um, how is this allowed to happen? Well, I think we all recognise that it shouldn't that it shouldn't be allowed to happen in this country. Yeah. But unfortunately, despite great efforts, it still continues to happen because, uh, again, coming back to uh, being genuine and authentic, have we really addressed and started to identify what the underlying issues are? This isn't a problem that can be fixed with penicillin alone. No. Um, I think that we all recognise that. Um, so for people that, that don't know, this is a, an inf it's caused by an infection with a bug called Group A streptococcus. It causes some confusion in your immune system and your immune system starts to attack your heart and your body and it can lead to problems with heart function and also valve problems. 
and it leads to early um, complications and death. It is a problem that we see in a lot of remote and rural communities and you know I think that there are a lot of national initiatives focused on that but mm. I do always try to bring attention to taking a broader view of cardiovascular disease because it's actually ischemic heart disease it's coronary disease that's killing the Victorian Aboriginal community and actually if you look at the national statistics it's ischemic heart disease that's cholesterol in your coronaries blockages in your coronaries that's causing our people to die prematurely and that's where you come in that's where I come in. And then I've also got this uh, other hat I wear, which is congenital heart disease. That is people that were born with heart disease. Um, we tend to be uh, the forgotten uh, community within the cardiac world, but it's um, an area that I'm really passionate about. These are the young adults that I see that were born with a heart condition and who are getting on with their lives but who really need lifelong care. And fortunately for me, I've joined the Royal Melbourne Adult Congenital Program where we see over 3,500 people, young adults with congenital heart disease, um, you know, trying to improve their outcomes every day. So um, before I let you go, I'll ask you questions. I mean, you were, you were telling me outside that you were sort of pressured into perhaps moving into the public health sphere if you wanted to do something about, you know, cardiovascular disease amongst the Aboriginal community. Um, just on public health, do you think that uh, there is enough being done within the public health setting to actually target Aboriginal communities and individuals around these issues? Well, yeah, let me say heart health is public health. One in four um, Australians, unfortunately, are going to die from um, heart disease or stroke. Yeah. So I think that we're all aware of the initiatives, the public health campaigns. So I do recommend everyone go and get their heart health check. If you haven't done it, go online, talk to your GP, particularly if you're over 45 or if you're a Koori, if you're 35. Yep. Um, I think that we could do more, though, in terms of our community engagement. I think participatory research, where this is co-designed public health interventions, um, that's the way to go. And again, it actually reflects what Indigenous people would have recommended you? you know, years ago. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, our time here is uh, done. It's flown by. Um, thank you so much for coming in. It's good to connect, to, uh, connect with you. Best it's of been luck. a pleasure. Best of luck with your work. Might get you in um, again some other time for, for a lengthier conversation. But um, Luke Birchall, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.